I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Michael Ross Albert is a playwright, screenwriter, indie producer, dramaturg, educator, and all-around theater lover. He joined me to talk about his latest play, Good Old Days, appearing this summer at the Toronto Fringe, having four productions in three countries on two continents in 2022, the magic trick behind his play, The Huns, and much more. Here's our conversation. Just to get started properly, um, I want to talk about your new show that's going to be at the, the Toronto Fringe, Good Old Days. Tell yeah. me, what can you tell me about Good Old Days? Um, well, w- you know, we're recording in mid-May, uh, and the Fringe is still a couple of months away. Um, so I am still in the process of, uh, uh, you know, discovering just exactly what Good Old Days is about. Um, I, that's not to say, um, it is not written. Uh, we like the, there's several drafts completed and I'm, uh, and I've started to work on it with, um, the creative team. Uh, but it is, but the script is still, um, taking shape, uh, and will continue to evolve during the rehearsal process. So all of that to say. Um, this is actually, this is the week where I'm meant to, um, submit our hundred word blurb about the play and what the play is. So this is really excellent practice for me, uh, succinctly, uh, describing this piece. Um, in, uh, I guess you could say that good old days is a uh a a surrealist kind of rippy uh dream life adventure chase <laughs> about um the fractured world that we live in 
Um, hmm. The story of two former roommates and former friends whose relationship ended during the pandemic, um, as many friendships and close relationships were strained, theirs was strained past the breaking point. Um, and in the middle of the night, on a very strange evening in the city, the two of them chase one another uh, in a way of attempting to mend their fractured relationship. And throughout the night, they encounter various strangers with whom they have um, interactions that uh, that become wonderful and weird and also a little nightmare. And um, what the play thematically, I guess, is trying to do is look at this kind of era-defining trauma that we've all lived through um, in relation to what what we perceive to be a simpler time just three years ago and questions, you know, if, if things were ever great, <laughs> if good old days were that. Um, and, and it also asks us to think about, um, to look at relationships that, that have uh, bent past the breaking point over the course of this traumatic event Hmm. um, and see when there is room for reconciliation and how we can, how we might go about beginning a conversation about, um, how to encounter one another again from uh, with all of the lessons and all of the uh, experiences that we've uh, learned and encountered over the last few years. So that's a very I that that won't fit into a hundred words. In the, <laughs> uh, but that's that is the idea. <laughs> the the I mean. I mean, relationships, when you live together, roommates, whatever, whether you are a couple or whether you're just roommates, those relationships are fraught as it is. There's, you know, you learn so much about somebody when you live with them. Um, and pre-pandemic, you had time away yeah. from your roommate. And then all of a sudden, you did not. And so I... It, then things become re- much more fraught and the, the, the danger to the relationship. When you truly see who that person is, for example, you find out that your roommate says things on, on calls like, let's circle back on that. And you're like, how can I be with living with somebody who says, let's circle back or whatever, like corporate speak that somebody is saying, you know, and suddenly you're like, I'm really annoyed by this person. Yeah. And it's those little like peccadillos that you can excuse for a while um Mm -hmm. when you have space from one another but um as many people i'm sure have encountered over the course 
lockdown after lockdown, um, things can really start. The, the smallest things can start to get under your nerves and under your skin. Yeah. And the big things uh, are so much more uh, egregious because personal safety and like a sense of public duty are at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, you know, the play isn't meant to be preachy in that way, but uh, does it does really, I, I think, take a look at that um, a line that uh, that people needed to draw mm. themselves and the value system that they had to create and um, and the conflicts that differences in those value systems might, may have created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're, you're spending 24 hours a day with somebody in a space that you did not intend and was never intended to, to be like a live workspace, but right. suddenly like you've both set up offices in the living room or whatever. It's like, it's no wonder that you that, that that a relationship would be so fraught and start to start to fray, and especially if like you're unable to escape the person. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's um, it's a really extraordinary um, thing that we lived through, mm-hmm. uh, and over the last year, I've had the it's the opportunity to travel to different places and no one has a story that doesn't involve some kind of completely out of the ordinary um uh, set of circumstances hmm. no one in the world was just like yeah things remained the same for me yeah. <laughs> you know everyone really um had to get used to a whole different reality mm. and we've come out on the other side of it or are nearing the other side of it um in this world that to me lately feels quite unrecognizable mm-hmm. uh, and uh i i'm not sure how much of that is me how much of it is uh you know i'm i like being on the lookout for something that's askew and how much of it is um it's it's the reality that we're living in that things have gotten more difficult and relationships um with people you're close to have become more brought and encounters with strangers have become Mm. more strange and hostile and so um the play kind of um i think tries to take that neuroses (laughs) those neuroses of mine and and um theatricalize it Mm. in in a somewhat surrealist surrealistic way 
I mean, it's surreal, yes, but I mean, let's face it. The if you are out, if you're wandering around the streets, or you're you're like, let's say you know you're you're chasing your former roommate through the streets or whatever, and you know, not in a dangerous way, but you know, anyway. Um, Toronto can be a weird place after dark, and the the later it goes, the weirder it gets, and yeah. so things can get surreal without even really trying if you if you're out late enough. Yeah, absolutely. I I and that's that has always been the case. It's a big yeah. city and um I I guess I complain a lot that Toronto isn't necessarily as weird as it used to be. But there's something um but weird is different than strange. <laughs> or weird is um different than dangerous. Yeah. Um and um uh, and so uh that's that's the um that that's what i am hoping to explore i i've been thinking a lot about uh, artistic movement that happened after the 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 first world war and the mm. ensuing pandemic and art got really weird. Uh, mm. The Surrealist Manifesto, which was published 99 years ago, mm. uh, talks about how in a world without meaning or a world that's lost any semblance of meaning, why should we attempt these realistic depictions of the environment that we are that we find ourselves in and that you know when I'm in school or studying art i never really got it mm. <laughs> and i've been thinking a lot more about how like yeah i i like things going through a monumental experience like we all have yeah um can really reframe your um your perspective about the world and the kind of work that you want to make in it yeah um so that's the experiment yeah it's, uh it's stylistically a pretty big it feels like a departure from uh, hmm. uh the type of stuff i've written in the past where you know people hang out in a room <laughs> and solve a problem or try to within um uh real time um and this uh and this this play does not do that <laughs> hmm. so yeah we're we're in um an experimental land there the 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 movement that you're you're talking about after the after World War One and the and, and the nineteen eighteen flu um, was re I I think you know it was a it's a response to first off you have a, a an entire generation of of young men and people who've been through one of the most traumatic experiences of their lives and that they that they refuse to talk about and so you know they don't tell their families about it it's like this thing that they keep inside and it comes out in other ways. Yes. Um, in some cases, it comes out in in fantasy novels, like The Lord of the Rings is full of World War One imagery, um, yes. and 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 things like that. And then you follow that up with a pandemic, 
um, where you have to people are, are stay have to stay inside with their thoughts when they were distracting themselves with work and other things and all that sort of stuff. The surrealist movement completely makes sense as, as it as it does now to to sort of like try to get out of the constraints of the 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 one room the you know here where this is this place set in the living room or in a kitchen or whatever it might be mm-hmm. um and and also i think sometimes after a while of trying to 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 keep a play within one space i think part of the writer sort of chafes at that and sort of wants to try to break out and do something a little bigger um for you do do, do you find that or have you found that 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 this was like you was like sort of breaking out of the room to try to do something bigger and more surreal, or was it a a conscious choice? It it was a conscious choice. Uh, uh, when so, Cass Van Wyck, um, who is producing the play uh, and will be acting in it, uh, as she has with many of my fringe productions, uh, she got into lottery she got selected in the lottery once again i don't know how and um we sat down to talk uh in the winter about what what we are hoping to accomplish with an opportunity that we've been given multiple times in the past what what are our goals what are the things we do um accomplish in this moment or at this stage of our lives for Cass, um her her priorities are about um giving performance opportunities to artists that have either recently graduated from university programs and haven't had the opportunity to be seen in front of a larger audience yet or are new to the city or um uh she's very um very um generous in that way of like wanting to um provide the opportunities and for myself i thought that um i i think i always tend to to set up a little writing challenge for myself or create um a strict set of rules or or parameters rather for each play and i basically said i want to throw <laughs> those rules out the window um that i had recently written um two very uh large ensemble pieces that were set in real time um and i felt like realism was something I was becoming very confident in as a genre or as mm. a style. And um, that if we were really to going to embrace the experimental and um, uh, the challenge of fringe, if, we, if I really wanted to like rise to what that could be, um, I thought I, I I need work in a or in an arena that I'm not as familiar with, and so the idea to do something uh, that has um, 
not direct address monologues, but mm. has some form of narration or um, scene changes or mm. actors playing multiple characters uh, and breaking conventions of logic sometimes. Mm. Um, I, I, I got really excited by the opportunity to, to do that. And, uh, so that's what we're, so that's what we're doing. I wrote mm. a, a strange play and, um, it's meant to be performed by two actors and the, um, the actor who will be performing with Cass is named Brianna Wright. And she is, um, a wonderful recent graduate PMU who, um, Cass saw in the indie general auditions mm. that we that the that were held at the assembly theater earlier in the year um or late last year whenever the winter was <laughs> um and uh so we're so we set so it's great that we set these goals mm-hmm. back in january and we're we're gonna we're we're, we're doing it. now in terms of like setting up like challenges for yourself um uh, i want to talk about the huns for a second sure or maybe more than a second because i think when you when we first sat down to talk about the huns um Uh, you referred to the good old days yeah i mean you were like i'm there's this magic trick that i have in this show and i don't know if it's gonna work yeah and that's all you said that's all you said was that there's this magic trick and the magic trick i think we can now say was the fact that the people on stage were interacting with pre-recorded voices that did not feel in the moment like pre-recorded voices um and i have to say that that particular trick to have the to, to to work with a stage manager a sound person who's going to be able to 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 be a scene partner for the actors on stage um that must have been something like, from the beginning that was like difficult to to arrange and to have happen. How do you find? Yeah. Like, what was that? Re- what's that rehearsal process like? To, well, to make that happen before before we get to the rehearsal, I I, I should say that about twenty pages into the play, into the writing of the play, I did send a message around <laughs> saying, I don't actually know that we will be able to pull this off. <laughs> and um, like maybe I should, maybe we should lower our expectations for ourselves. Um, but I, I think without any, without any risk, there can be no reward. And part of, part of the, the challenge of, of, of stage or rather, challenge of pulling off this magic trick Hmm. was incredibly satisfying artistically and watching the cast perform the play was like watching them walk a tightrope because it's and i think the audience could tell like if something goes wrong it's gonna go Mm -hmm. really wrong Mm -hmm. um and so there, they, it really did feel like um, like a a, a great um, 
I mean, it was it was a lot of pressure, um, especially for our superhero of a stage manager on mm. that production, Aiden Hammond. Um, but it was, you know, it really did feel um, like a like a great sleight of hand trick. Um, and the rules. So the rehearsal process involved recording the voices uh, from 12 actors before rehearsals even began. Um, we only gave each actor their own lines and very little context. Oh. Um, uh, Marie Farsi, the director of the play, had maybe 10 minutes with everyone <laughs> individually and would direct. Uh, and we would sort of like have a script handy. Um, there are kind of movements in the play the characters respond to. And so we could easily say, okay, things are getting a bit tense in this movement. So the line of, uh, uh, you know, could you repeat that, please? Like, this is a more tense moment. Can that right. be heightened a bit? So we got the recordings from those actors and um, and needed needed them um, in QLab for the entire rehearsal run. Mm -hmm. So our sound designer was Andy Trithart, who um, edited the voices. I and I'm pretty all of this must have happened before we met rehearsal, um, and in the room. Aiden, the stage manager, would like in in addition to notating blocking and doing <laughs> all of the other things a stage manager does, hit the Q Lab mm -hmm. uh, button and get into a, a a groove with the actors and learn the moments where where delaying by a moment could increase some tension right. and. So like that was a it was a very essential part of the rehearsal process and one that both Marie and myself had to learn <laughs> mm. um before we went to Brighton given oh. the fact that a pandemic was that was still raging especially in the UK. yeah and we yeah. and so um we had to have a, a contingency plan and and learn how to learn how to call the show or how to run the sound through the show, which is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I mean, now as an audience member who 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 saw the show and didn't know what the magic trick was, um, there is that tension that you're talking about that you mentioned of the audience being like, if something goes wrong, something's going to go really wrong. I think as an audience member, because you know, it, sometimes when you're watching a show. You, you you have that like the same as watching watching a, a like an actual magic show. How do they do that? And I think a lot of audience members, because I did, went through the process of these people must be backstage. No, that's not possible. They couldn't possibly be backstage. Oh, it's pre-recorded. <laughs> and then you then you sort of like are like, oh shit, this is like somebody is like hitting basically play on a thing, 
and 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 the stress sort of goes up as you like subconsciously. Not that it's something you're thinking about, but it's something that 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 is sort of like there in the back of your mind, which is a fascinating thing to sit in because you're watching the play and the play is tense, but there's an added layer of of tension to it, um, which just sort of adds to the to the the internal tension of the play. Yes. And, and I think that there's, there, there are some like terrifically comedic vo- voice performances in that, in that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the voices gets the biggest laugh every show <laughs> um, in a way that's like quite unfair to the onstage actors. Um, but without fail, when, when Tyrone Savage and his British accent says, it's everything all right. It like has <laughs> always brought the house down. Right. Um, and so, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I think that there is an appreciation of the technical wizardry that's required. Um, and those voices really serve a helpful function to creating tension in a play that is essentially three people sitting around a conference room table. Yes. Yeah. And then that was, and so that was the particular challenge for me in that piece was can, can I make three people sitting around a table be tense <laughs> and, <laughs> and dramatically compelling? And, and um, I'm so glad that we stressed we had the opportunity to stress so many people out. That <laughs> I think it doesn't, it didn't, doesn't help. doesn't hurt that um, pretty much everybody has been in a conference room in a tense situation. So there's like that, that immediate, like, Oh shit, I know this situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a real dance of passive aggression. Mm-hmm. And um, we it, like, I, I think, I think it, I don't know how this happened, but because the revival of the play happened after the pandemic, where, whereas beforehand, people that worked in offices relate mm-hmm. pretty immediately to the circumstances, whereas, whereas people who have, who don't need to regularly do conference calls or mm-hmm. video messaging software could um, relate to the, you know, the grind of, right. of, of the piece, the, the millennial malaise. Um, whereas after the, after the pandemic where we have all had to in- encounter mm-hmm frustrating <laughs> uh zoom meetings and even just like hangouts with friends i went to a brist on zoom <laughs> you know? uh like we we all really became fatigued and annoyed and um and i think it became i think it got tenser uh after after mm. back to the real world yeah. Now you you mentioned going to Brighton. Now initially you were supposed to go to Brighton in 2020, I believe. We sure were. 
And of <laughs> course, things happened. We received our Canada Council travel grant on April Fool's 2020. Oh, that's, that's devastatingly perfect. Yeah, it was the first time I laughed in about three weeks. <laughs> uh, we found out and, and I actually like collapsed on the floor laughing. <laughs> um but we uh were very very lucky to receive that funding and to um to have been able to continue to defer it yeah. until we were able to uh, finally cross the pond mm. and um it was uh, it was so wonderful it was um after years of, you know, just like not knowing what was going to happen with life, let alone yeah. with making theater, to be able to go on, on an adventure to the other side of the ocean, to live in an Airbnb with people who have become close mm. friends, like family, and do a show uh for strangers who laughed and mm. liked and didn't have to say nice things to us because they didn't <laughs> work. So it was it was really like one of the most memorable uh moments, experiences and something I'm cherished forever. I mean I was I was going to ask about about you know the 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 audience reaction to the yeah. to this show this canadian show in in england but obviously it translated and people people got it it did and what was what's funny is that um the audiences it, it seemed like the audiences were a bit quieter than we had been used to hmm. and at the end of the show were incredibly enthusiastic hmm. uh or uh you know would come up to us at the bar or um post about the show online but there's but we were we were like you know you can laugh <laughs> like you british people have like they do comedy don't they and i think there's something there's something so it made us kind of reflect on on the institution of British comedy, mm. which is so, so wonderfully and unambiguously silly. Mm -hmm. And this, this play in a very Canadian way is, um, like a bit humble about it. <laughs> laughs. Maybe it's like sly. Yeah. You know, we're like, it feels like the laughs are coming from something uncomfortably familiar rather than something outsized and slapstick and big. And so uh, Tyrone's line still always got a really big laugh. Mm -hmm. Is everything all right? But um, uh, we found it was, uh, we found it really became like a drama in the mm. And mm. Um, And perhaps... It has something to do with the circumstances of the world at the time we 
performed it for a second time, but did it did feel like like quite a tense experience for the mm. audience. Audiences are weird. And, you know, I say that because, <laughs> you know, every audience is different. And, you know, you go to a place and you're not sure what an audience is gonna, going to be like. Um, years ago, when I was working with Keystone Theater, we were doing plays in the style of silent film. Because the actors on stage were not talking, a lot of times audiences had this involuntary response that it took them a long time to figure out, oh, I'm allowed to laugh. Yeah. And so they would they would be really quiet at first and then after somebody laughed they would they would suddenly realize oh yes i can i can make noise um and it's it's interesting to watch an audience make that discovery and then you know when you take a play say to england and it's sort of like when people come come here or or people go to a different place and the accent they have a dialect Maybe the audience is quiet because they're like, I need to concentrate because this is an unfamiliar dialect to me or something like that. You never know what it's going to be. But, you know, as long as at the end they. They react in the way that you want them to, that's that that's awesome. Did you feel like it was that that it was maybe the dialect or was it just the fact that maybe it was just pandemic? Uh, I, I you know, I wish I could tell you what. Or put my finger on it. Mm. Um, we, I'm not sure that this is, uh, that this had anything to do with it, but we, we did begin the show with a land acknowledgement ah. that I don't think the colonizers, <laughs> the OG colonizers are, are used to hearing, mm. um, and it was, uh, and, and so there was a part of me that wondered that perhaps, uh, perhaps that was a bit, uh, baffling or, or mm. just, uh, they began scratching their heads before the play started. Um, but it's not to say that they weren't, um, involved, mm. uh, and it could, we were in a, um, like a very like a reasonably sized house mm-hmm. um, and had reasonably sized audiences and i i um yeah i'm not i'm not sure it's it's not to say that they like it didn't i'm not saying it didn't go well mm-hmm. the response was really good but it was but it was a little perplexing to everyone that we would be doing doing this show that here in Toronto would get get big enthusiastic laughs throughout um that there is a moment in the play where um i think the tension has ramped up to uh to a, a boiling point and is diffused momentarily by mm-hmm. a and once that tension breaks they 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 were a bit more um willing to vocalize their mm. laughter but at that point the play takes a bit a, a, a turn towards more serious thematic content mm-hmm. so the laughter is not necessarily maybe by the time they they realized they could laugh yeah. they it wasn't time for them to laugh anymore um it was but it was a very it was a fun it was a it's you know like you said audiences are weird and um, what I'm 
so grateful for is that people who had no reason to see this bunch of Canadians <laughs> took time out of their day to um, to get stressed out <laughs> and were so, so kind and welcoming and told their friends to see it. We, we had a, these wonderful actors uh, came to see it and later did a post uh, announcement about our play in the most like beautiful emphatic mm. terms. Uh, uh, we had people, young people, this is my, maybe my favorite story, but they like were coming in from London um, to do fringe stuff and went back to London, which is about an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. And then came back to see the show again the next day. Whew. And we were like, just completely floored that, um, that the response was so, um, so genuine and, mm. and so kind. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, audiences, every time you go to a place, you have to sort of adjust your expectations, you know, new Definitely. audience, you know, you have to try to figure out how is this audience going to react? And it's one of the things that, that, that actors, performers, playwrights have to be ready for and have to be flexible with. Um, but you can always tell when an audience is into it. Like they might not be vocalizing. Yes. But the energy in the room tells you that they're, they're with you. And that's always one of the great things about, about, about doing theater and to have people come back and like do all this. So that's obviously the show was, was really well received. Um, and as far as like, cause were you familiar with the Brighton fringe at all before you went or was it just like, uh, well, we had three years to, um, familiarize ourselves, but no, we, um, we, oh, I guess it was only two. Pardon me. Um, (laughs) no, it wasn't a fringe that was on our or my radar. Uh, but at the end of, 2019 festival uh here in toronto we received an invitation to take the show and began um uh like a a real research campaign of looking at what available venues were Mm. what how their festival runs and um the scope and size of it and and box office expectations and attendance expectations uh so i i think we did um i having the luxury of time with uh that was uh was very useful and we picked uh uh i think we picked really well mm-hmm. in terms of like where we were staying and and where the show was presented and how it was marketed um I'm sure if we were to do it again, there are things we would do differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, uh, it's a it's a really fun town. First mm. of all, it's um, it's a probably I think it's known as one of the m- most progressive cities in the UK mm. or in England. Um, and so there's a real like party vibe. 
as much as there can be in Britain. Uh, <laughs> but people come for their for their um, uh, bachelorette parties, mm. whatever you call them over there, and uh, there's and the, this like there's very dramatic scenery and um, like a great midway uh, and really just like excellent food mm. in options all of the things a bunch of uh, North American millennials could have hoped for <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect I, I mean I, I think we realized how North American we are <laughs> uh, especially being um uh the, the the energy and efficiency that's required for the Toronto fringe mm-hmm. uh we really like brought that with us <laughs> and <laughs> and realized very quickly that there is a much more lackadaisical <laughs> right towards um the creation of art in, um, in that I don't know if it's that particular festival or or in the UK, but we were like we it, it didn't take us very long to realize we're we're at a twelve and then about at an eight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's one of those things that that if you're if you're traveling to fringe festivals, if you're going to more than one fringe festival. Each one, like each one is different and you don't know, like you'll go to one. Is this a flyering town? And the only way to find out is to try to flyer unless somebody has told you in advance. And then you might be like, well, we don't need these flyers anymore. But, you know, there's all, all kinds of like differences. And so every place is different. Um, and, 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 and to find out that, the, that you're running in. I don't know. I wonder if they if they were like these North Americans are really quite intense. They were. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, they sure were. (laughs) But it sounds like Um, it was a a great experience. You guys, you guys had a, you know, you got to, you got to to stay together and, and, and you did, I think one day trip into London and, and had a great time. Sounds like, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we really had a blast. Um, uh, yeah, it was a very memorable experience. Even the difficult parts, yeah, like trying to leave the UK during the week of the Queen's Jubilee, uh, which oh. you've never done before. I guess you won't get a chance to now. But no, but one one, was, one probably you, you. So I take it you don't recommend doing so. It was um, a low point of the trip. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was, it, it's truly something I'll never forget. Yeah, yeah. Now, just sort of in, in, in as we sort of start to come to a close here, an interesting factoid is that um, this summer will be the fifth time that a play of yours is produced at the Toronto Fringe. That is correct. And that's Number a pretty good record. That's a pretty good record in the, in the, in the Toronto Fringe. How do you feel about, about, that, about that sort of milestone? I'm it's a bit odd um it it's not um it makes me feel old if I'm being (laughs) perfectly honest and um but 
but it, you know, Fringe has been uh, a really significant part of my artistic career and of the formation of my attitudes about art. And, and so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I have an opportunity to continue to experiment with something new Hmm. in this setting. I think fringe gives in fringe invites risk taking. And, um, I, 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 you know, you never know which piece is going to land or, mm-hmm. or, or strike a chord with audience members. But Fringe gives you the opportunity to, um, to, to, um, well, to, to fail really mm. to like without, um, without the pressure of catering to a commercial audience, you can take big swings and try stuff on for size. And, um, I, each play that I've done in the Toronto fringe and in other fringes, um, have all been really like significant, um, like tests for myself Mm. or, um, they're good indicators of where I was at as a Mm. person and as a writer at the time of writing. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that I, I have the chance to articulate the strangeness of how it feels to be alive right now Mm. a way that I probably wouldn't had it not been for the opportunity to perform a play in the fringe. Hmm. So um, I'm really thrilled. I'm scared. You know, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very vulnerable uh, um, activity, showcasing yeah. something that you've written to the public. And, um, and there is a risk that you know, it might not be any good. I I truly thought, I mean, I didn't know what to think about the Huns or anywhere mm. before an audience got into the room, and that's like it's it's terrifying that they mm. they might they they might run for the exits, um, and so that fear is a really good motivator. Um, <laughs> And it means that it requires everyone to work in a in a way that is fruitful and joyful. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if the friend is not fun, it's not worth doing. Yeah. Um, and so i I feel so fortunate that I get to have fun with this creative team um the play is being directed by jill harper who 
is a director I wanted to work with for years. And she very graciously sat down with me in the winter where I, I, I didn't do a good job at articulating what the play would be at all <laughs> and said, yeah, let's do it. Let's make something weird. So I, I appreciate that everyone, um, everyone dives in, everyone, everyone is embracing the spirit of risk taking that's involved with on a show in the fringe festival. And I'm glad I get to do it for a fifth time. How mm. lucky. Like, absolutely. Can, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I know that you've, you've had this experience and I, I have when, you know, you're, you're presenting something new and there's a moment, you know, early on or something, if it's a comedy or something, you're waiting for a reaction. You're like, if this, if, if I get this reaction, I know that it's funny. We think it's funny from rehearsal, but the audience will tell us. And there's almost like a subconscious holding of the breath until like you get that reaction. Um, and then you can sort of be like, okay, that moment passed. That was the litmus test. The audience yeah. likes it. We're good to go. Um, well, and, and some performances, um, the audience will laugh and <laughs> some they won't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some are late at night when the audience has had a couple before mm. the show and some are in the middle of the day. Like there's, there's something really, uh, I mean, there's something ephemeral about, like inherently about theater, yeah. but because of the the scheduling that's all over the place, really invite variety in the in in the house, mm -hmm. and play will be different, and that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great lesson about about theater in general. That like the like a real concrete reminder that. They, these words with these actors with that audience will never happen again mm -hmm. and this reaction is unique to this moment and it's sort of like a you go in and you you let it happen and and hopefully everybody has fun amen yeah. <laughs> well michael i'm really looking forward to as always uh, uh i'm always excited to see a new show that you that you've written so i'm really looking forward to to, to good old days at toronto fringe Thank you so much, Phil, and thanks for thanks for talking to me. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.